Welcome back, everyone, to the Monday, December 19th edition of the Six Overtimes podcast. We're coming to you from New York. I'm Chaz Wagner here, joining us a little southwest of here is Scott Wildermuth. How's it going, my man? Pretty well, pretty well. How are you? Very well. Great weekend of hoops, great weekend of sports, great weekend of a lot of things, holiday time. There were some great games on the docket, most notably Memphis in uh, Louisville, former Conference USA rivals. First time they've played since uh, Louisville departed. So Louisville take them down in a very high-scoring, entertaining affair. Then we had some regional rivalry games. ND and Indiana played in Indianapolis with Indiana coming out on top. And some other games, what was it, Villanova and St. Joe's. Villanova loses another one. And then we had, uh, not a rivalry game, but Syracuse went down to NC State for their first road game, Scott. Syracuse um, held on to their number one ranking by doing that. And then there were a bunch of other games of Big East teams, but not not uh, very good opponents in those ones. Yeah, there was a, uh, there was a lot of games played by uh, Big East guys. I think 14 of the 16 were in action, and only two of them lost, and you highlighted it there. It's uh, Nova and ND lost reasonably close games in, in uh, those rivalry games. Um, but I think we should kick it off with the Louisville uh, Cardinals beating up on the Memphis Tigers 95-87. Yeah, Louisville, I didn't think that they could hang with Memphis in, in a high-scoring affair. I think they could beat them. I thought it was going to be like a 65-60 game. Um, this, the Smith, uh, what, Russ Smith had an unbelievable game. Was that a career high for him? He looked he looked amazing. Yep, yeah, he had uh, 24 points, which was a career high for him, and seven steals. He had an excellent game, and Patino commented in the, uh, I guess, post-game conference that he, basically if he continues to play as well as he did defensively uh, on Saturday against Memphis, that he'll continue to get more and more minutes. And that's really something to point out because uh, Shane Bahannon came off the bench for one of the first times this season. Yeah, and did, you're talking about Russ Smith. I saw a video, a YouTube video of him, and I guess he's watching a – a gory movie, like a scary movie or something, and all it has is him, you know, like looking into his computer's camera and him reacting, and it's one of the funniest things in the world. So I like him for that and for this great game that he played on Saturday. So he he's he might even he's a character. He's a character, and you know he might even show up in the in the player of the weekend on on one of our fronts. Just a little foreshadowing there. Yeah, definitely, and I think one of the bigger uh, bigger reasons why Louisville won this game was they had 25 points off of turnovers, and they turned turned Memphis off, uh, turned Memphis over several times. And the other thing was Memphis missed 14 free throws. So when you're in a close game, and we'll touch on this later in the program, uh, when you're in a close game against a really good team. You need to make those uh, shots at the charity stripe, and you need to convert as 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 often as you possibly can. And Memphis really struggled with that uh, on Saturday. So I guess they haven't shed those demons from the 2008 championship game where they missed all those free throws. It's it's still lingering. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it it was a great win for the Louisville Cardinals. And um, you know, I I think that we're gonna be they're gonna be there down the stretch, but. You know, a lot of these prognosticators and, and media folks that follow college basketball, they seem to think that they don't trust Louisville 
as much as some of the other top 10 teams across the country. I uh, just want to see what your take is on that. Does this help you trust them a little bit more, or are you still a little bit gun-shy with them? Are we in that grouping? Are we prognosticators or media folk yet? Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I think we're getting there. We're, we're certainly not uh, anywhere near. near. I, I know you're talking of the ESPN guys. Last week they had a debate about should we trust this team or are they as good as their number four or five ranking, wherever they are. I think this helps their case. Um, you know, come March and when we're watching the real prognosticators, Jay Billis and Digger and all those guys, they're going to talk about body of work. That's just a, a catchphrase that is used way too much. But when you beat Memphis, a top 25 ball club, a real athletic ball club, that adds to your body of work. It adds to your NCAA resume. Um, I think y- what you, what we were kind of talking about earlier was when they show, when they play Kentucky New Year's Eve, that's going to be the ultimate test because they are one of the best team, one of the best ball clubs in the country. So they're, taking care of business and that's what you do this time of year taking care of business so uh you, you can't not trust i don't know if you fully trust them but it's not like you can't you can't trust them if that makes any sense yeah and I, I i i agree with you and one of the things that makes me feel better about this team was how well uh mr dang played and he went for 14 and 14 with six blocks so you have a lot of these defensive standouts between him and russ smith uh, that combined for you know seven steals and six blocks. It, it's it makes me feel better about this team because they are so deep, they are so athletic, and uh, when you start seeing the defense, the defensive mindset of these players stepping forth and taking over too, it's it's good to see. Yeah, four, forty uh, minutes from Dang. I mean, just didn't uh, didn't think he had that stamina and conditioning in him. Just great to see. Definitely, definitely. Um, but let's move on to this Syracuse-NC State game. Let's move on. It was a fun, entertaining game to watch. I loved it. Um, NC State got off to a uh, nice start in this game. This was one of the things that you would take out of this game. This was a game of runs. Um, Syracuse ended up winning 88-72. to We need to get that across first. But uh, kind of the subplot and the narratives taking place in this game... 13-4 to to start the game, NC State did. Syracuse had to take a timeout because they they hopped off to such a quick start. Then Syracuse, uh, when it was 29-23, Scott, and NC State was up, this was 10 minutes left in the first half, Syracuse went on a 23-0 run, and they just scored, like, you know, in bunches. And it was led by our boy Dion Waiters. Also, Chris Joseph was a big part of that. He had 21 points. James Sutherland uh, got into the the, fest, the scoring festivities. C.J. Fair did. It was just a fun, fun uh, brand of basketball by these guys. Yeah, and Dion Waiters just continues to be that microwave off the bench that we've we've come to know and love. And you know him dropping in twenty two points. That's a career high for him. Mm-hmm. And. You know, it always feels like he was scoring in that 15-plus points uh, sort of area this season. But uh, last or Saturday, they, he poured in 22, and it was a big reason for uh, the W against the, the Wolfpack of NC State. Yeah, I think we're going to be saying career high many more times throughout this year. I don't think he's, uh, he's going to stop there at, at 22 points. Um, other things about these games, you know, guard play – 
Brandon Trish did not play well at all, if you want to take any negative out of this game. I believe he only had one point. He's been struggling with his shot as of late. But Scoop Jardine, kind of a mediocre first half. And, Scott, he really, really played well in the second half, especially when NC State tied it up at 54. I mean, this game was up and down and all around. And Scoop hit some two big back-to-back threes, just drained them. And that really silenced the crowd and really helped Syracuse pull away. So, you know, those senior leaders, um, Chris Joseph and Scoop Jardine, they just find ways late in the game to, uh, to come up big. Yeah, certainly, and that's all about this that leadership that uh, all these teams are looking for, and we'll talk about Marquette later, but um, this this team needs Scoop Jardine to be great this year, and especially in that leadership role, and he sort of guides this team to a great second half of basketball and to pull away and eventually get that 16-point win. So I, th- I think behind, behind Scoop Jardine, uh, Dion Waiters and Chris Joseph. That's that's a pretty good three. Uh, that's a pretty good threesome. Yeah, they got uh, well. Fa- then they have Fab Mello. They have CJ Fair. They have Bayus Cicada. It's the beat goes on. Exactly. So let's go down to uh, a beat down of one of these uh, Big East squads where Villanova went into St. Joe's for the first time in the 69-year history of this uh, matchup. They played at St. Joe's and lost 74-58. to um, You know, if, if you got a chance to watch the game, and I was able to, uh, the crowd was just going absolutely nuts, and it was real loud, and that stadium is real tight in, and, you know, it could have really done a lot in order to swing everything in the Hawks' favor. Yeah, the place was rocking. They they said before the game, leading, the week leading up to it, they said the place was going to be wild, and and uh, everyone was right. Weird weird to think that uh, they're not playing a Big Five game in the Palestra, but with all the yeah. St. Joe's, you know, they wanted, the, when it came down to it, Hagen Arena was the, the right move at, at this time. Um but our boy, or your boy especially, I mean, you, you've been a big fan of him and big proponent is uh, Yaru. And he didn't play well in this game because he wasn't, he didn't have the opportunity to, Scott. He only played 11 minutes. I, I, I have to question that. And where do you think that uh, that came from? Yeah, when I first saw, um, you know, that he wasn't playing too much, I was really confused. And I actually had to go online and search for it see if he got hurt or something because no one was really talking about it and it turns out that he just didn't get the minutes because they didn't feel like it was a great matchup for the guy and I'm very surprised by that especially because this Villanova team shot 5 of 27 from behind the three-point arc I think they could have used a, a very good inside offensive presence to sort of balance that out yeah do you know how many blocks that is it last name Aiken the guy that Averages almost five blocks a game for Sanchez. I'm just interested to see how many uh, how many shots he swatted against against the uh, the Wildcats because he's yeah he he definitely had a couple. I, I I don't know what the number is right off the top of it, but uh, you know the St. Joe's had a hard or really played well, and you know the guy who dropped 38 against Seton Hall this this past year, mm-hmm. uh, Carl Jones, he had 15 points. I mean. 
St. Joe's is a pretty good squad, and when you look at their body of work, like you were talking about before, they beat Creighton and they beat the hell out of Villanova in this instance. I wouldn't be surprised if they're uh, if they're on the old top twenty-five list uh, when it when it gets released this afternoon. Yeah, knocking on that top twenty-five, Paul. Um, yeah, it's tough shooting when you're running a three or four guard set. You you rely upon perimeter play and good perimeter play to win, but when you're forced or I don't know forced but when you um when it leads to 27 outside shots 27 three pointers it's really hard to win because when when you don't have a balanced scoring attack of inside and outside and w- when you're cold and your shot is off it's it's really tough to win when you're taking 22 and 23 foot shots uh, every time down the court yeah and you know, this sort of goes back to what we've been saying about them all year is they're they're going to be able to sneak a couple of wins if they get their jump shooting on in, in, in that particular matchup. But when they don't, like they did against St. Joe's on Saturday, they're going to put up a big goose egg and, and go down by 16 to a St. Joe's team that, you know, is pretty good. But we would expect more out of the Villanova Wildcats at this point. Um but let's let's uh, switch switch gears a little bit. Go out towards the Midwest in the rivalry game between Notre Dame and Indiana, where Indiana and the Cody Zellers took down the Fighting Irish, sixty nine to fifty eight. Yep, they, the Cody Zellers took down the Jack Cooleys and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. <laughs> yep. Scott and I were going back and forth on Friday when we were previewing this game, and I thought Jack Cooley, after having a great week of hoops last week that he could hang or at least contribute in a, in a good way in this game. He did and he didn't. He put up 12 points, so looking at the, you know, just a 10,000-foot view, oh, he, he played okay, but defensively, Scott, he is so darn slow, and his footwork needs to improve dramatically. Uh, I don't think he gets in the best, you know, so defensively, he he got he got worked by, by Cody Zeller, basically, and Cody Zeller... He's really good. Uh, I didn't get to see that Kentucky game last weekend much. Uh, I knew he played well to help them win. But this guy, we talk about working an offense, uh, having it the the inside, you know, working it through the post. They work everything through him, the high post, the low block, everywhere. And it's because he not only is a good scorer, Scott, but he's a really good passer and has great vision for a big man. Yeah, that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later with Henry Sims, but it's really nice when you can have a versatile big man down low, and, and Cody Zeller proved to be that guy. You know, Jack Cooley, though, he, he looks like he's got concrete in his boots, yep. you know? like he, yeah. His feet are just so slow, and he, it's almost like he trips over himself. So not that there's going to be a Cody Zeller in the Big East, but there are some pretty good big men, and... They need to learn how to defend him, whether or not it's a better team defense or what have you. They need to figure something out and figure it out quickly because these teams like the Yukons and when Gates is back with Cincinnati, uh, they're going to really struggle with defending those kinds of players. Yeah, they're going to get killed by Yukon. I don't know how they'll hang with, with their postman. Yancey Gates, when he returns, the same. Uh you know this team is going to struggle defensively in the post as well as scoring because we saw there was a about a 15 or 16 minute stretch in this game Scott 
after Notre Dame actually started out well. They were up 15-6, to kind of like NC State started out well in Syracuse. Dragovich hit three threes in the first five minutes, and it's like, whoa, ND's going to, you know, it's going to be a high-scoring game, da-da-da-da. But they hit a scoring drought, and it was ugly to watch. Bad shots, um, couldn't couldn't get anything going, and ended up uh, only scoring 58 points. And that's that's very atypical of a Mike Bray team. And I think in the first half, they only hit four first-half field goals, and that's the lowest number in the Mike Bray uh, era at Notre Dame. I would hope that's the lowest number of the Mike Bray era. That's outrageous. That's that's not good. That's terrible. When you're a fighting Irish fan, you see our your squad put in four buckets in 20 minutes of play. You got to be furious. Yeah, awful. Angry. Um, but I think that's sort of just what happened with this Notre Dame roster when Abermitis went down. It's these guys just don't know how to do it yet, and, and they, they're still working on gelling, and hopefully that that happens sooner than later. Um, but, you know, we want to talk about a team that has been gelling all season and really just destroying people is UConn, who took down a Holy Cross Crusaders team 77-40. to 40. It was over before the game even tipped. You look at the two lineups, and you just knew that Holy Cross was going to be in trouble. Yeah, UConn is so gelling. <laughs> yeah, like Magellan. And the person that's really gelling is Andre Drummond. Fresh from Big, he's coming into his own. Only missed, you know, was almost perfect from the field, going 11 for 12 from the field. He still stinks at the free throw line, but that's that's um, Besides being the nitpicky. Point. Besides the point. Throwing down a bunch of dunks. Uh, the guy's a force down low. He's 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 pairing well and complimenting Oriaki and Olander very well and in this uh you know what they 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 outscored yeah the the funny numbers you you brought it up was UConn big men outscored the entire Holy Cross team it was forty five to forty in the the UConn bigs versus Holy Cross and oh by the way UConn still had Jeremy Lamb Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright to throw in some scoring as well. Yeah, I mean their their depth and their talent level is absurd. It's really just Drummond proved to be gonna be he's gonna be a lottery pick in twenty uh in twenty twelve like we talked with Anthony last week about and he proved why it's gonna be. I mean, he had a lot of dunks and he's had a ton of dunks all year, but this is the first game that he's actually shown some uh low post moves. He shot a turnaround jumper that went in and you know, it's just showing that he has uh, a lot of development to do, and he still hasn't hit his peak and optimal uh, offensive height yet this season. Totally. And uh, there was something, uh, the, the one guy had, Holy Cross by R.J. Evans had nice 15 points, almost put up uh, 40% of the team scoring, but he also threw up an, another something in this game, didn't he, Scott? Yeah, he threw up some bile. He, uh, he vomited on the sideline during the game, and uh, <laughs> and after in the post-game conference, the coach said something like, I hope that was a reaction to how he felt the game was going because yeah. we looked like crap out there. <laughs> and, you know, I, I get what he's the coach is doing, but at some point, like, it, it's just beating the players over the head. It's a little bit too much. I mean... You're playing against UConn. You know, it's it's not going to be an easy way, or it's going to be difficult to be within 37 points of them. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think they expected to win the game, but maybe a little more competitive is what he was he was looking for. Probably so. Probably so. But uh, let's move on to uh, the New York City battle between the Johnnies and uh, Fordham. Yes, the great MSG Holiday Festival, a festivus of sorts for St. John's. After 25 days without a win, they pick it up against uh, uh, Five Borough foe in Fordham. Uh, ugly game, 56 to 50. Even though St. John's won, talk about a team with l- the l- little to no depth. I'm I'm gonna err towards no depth. Uh, there were four guys. I don't know the last time we've seen this number, but four guys played all 40 minutes of this game. I'm at, we should actually go back and look to see. Th- they've got to be one of the thinnest teams uh, in non-deep teams that we've ever seen. Oh yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, out of their starters, they played a hundred and ninety six total minutes, and you know the guy that was the only senior or uh, upperclassman coming back for their team, Malik Stiff, was their only bench guy playing four minutes, and he's really just not showed up all year long. Yeah, he's he's not as talented as as these freshmen coming in. Nobody expects much out of him, but. Um... Mo Harkless had another nice game, played all 40 minutes. He, uh, you know, 13 points and 16 boards. This game was, as we said, really ugly. But to speak on that, there were 85 missed shots, 28 turnovers. Fordham shot below 30% from the field, and I don't think it was any stifling defense coming from St. John's, especially in the second half when all those St. John's guys are tired. I just think it was it was basically a lack of, of skill and execution coming from there. And one thing about, about this game, they were saying that Phil Green, the guy that's now playing, taking over the point guard duties for, for St. John's, he played a lot of two guard in, in high school. And because he's kind of forced in this role with Nerdine Lindsay being out, this was his first game, not with the Johnnies after his transfer. But they said that this was the game where he really showed that he was vocal and showed some leadership and like, hey, this is kind of, not my team, but this is my position. I'm going to be the floor general. So as a freshman, it's, he's got thrust into that role. So it's it's going to be nice to see him uh, over time just, just being more, uh, more of that floor general. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it's very important that the Johnnies went out and actually won this game because of what you said. There's a lot of turmoil going on with Lindsey transferring. Lavin wasn't on the bench uh, in this particular matchup because he's still working with uh, doctors to figure out his prostate cancer. Um, you know, it's it's one of those victories that they just needed to be able to get the ball rolling again. And it's good to see that and hopefully that they can continue and build off of this, even though they, they do have some big holes. And, you know, we're all a little bit nervous to see how they do, but... Uh, definitely some bright spots between Phil Green and Mo Harkless, and uh, we'll have to track it going forward. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, the DePaul uh, Blue Demons taking down the Arkansas Pine Bluff Golden Lions, eighty-one to sixty-two. Not too much to say other than what we usually say about DePaul. It, this team goes as Jeremiah Kelly, Brandon Young, and Cleveland Melvin go. Uh, quick math, I believe they scored 47 of the 81 points. Um, you know, that's just what it's going to be and what it's always going to be. And, and these guys, uh, 
They guys, they got it done this time. Yep, that's what it's going to be. You always need a big three on any team, and, and DePaul has that. Uh, your boy Chris Faber, he didn't see that many minutes, but when he's when he's on the floor, he's 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 productive. Seven points, three blocks. Uh, I'm sorry, seven rebounds. Um, but yeah, what what is he? Does he need to see more minutes when he's on the floor? Does he need to see more shots? Does he need to be more integrated into the office? I mean, what offense? What uh, what needs to happen there, Scott? Yeah, it seems like he just needs some more touches. Uh, we we talked about this at length last week, in that he's very efficient. He's a very efficient player. He had seven seven rebounds in seventeen minutes. He had a couple blocks as well in in that time frame and. Uh, he's shooting close to 60% on the year. So I think he needs some more touches down low on the offensive uh, point of view. And I think he just needs to stay out of foul trouble and, and stay in the game as long as he can because he's proven to be a very good rebounder when he's there. Yeah, and they, they were able to force a lot of, uh, even though they were out-rebounded, you were talking about this, but they they um, created a lot of, of turnovers be using their athleticism and, and playing a, a weaker opponent. Yeah, and it's great to see because it's usually DePaul the ones that are turning the ball over, but they turned uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff over 22 different times, and they got a lot of points off off those and a lot of easy layups. So excellent job uh, defensively for these guys, and it, it was it was really nice to see that they uh, just took care of business and beat up on a, a team that isn't as good as they are. Yeah, a team that almost didn't take care of business, which they should have, were the Seton Hall Pirates. They defeated Mercer, whoever they are and whatever their mascot is. They won 80-77 to in overtime, Scott. This game yeah. should never get to overtime, especially a home game and uh, a team that should they should have taking care of it uh, early early in the game but if but they, but they did not and the reason they pulled it out was Herbert Pope he is making a very strong emphatic statement for Big East player of the year and maybe even up there as the Naismith player of the year with a 24 points and 17 rebound performance yeah, huge numbers from Herbie Pope again, and it's something that we've grown accustomed to. I mean, it's it's excellent to see that my guy in that double-double bet continues just to be a double-double machine. And, you know, he's in the top ten nationally for points per game and rebounds per game. You know, it's sort of funny that he's in that player of the year conversation for not only the conference, but I think in <laughs> you're right, for the Naismith at this point, no one would have predicted that, but Herb Pope's having a fantastic year uh, so far, and that's why Seton Hall is 9-1. and one. Yeah, he's playing great. Another guy that's playing great and had a wonderful performance was Fuquan Edwin with eight steals. And I'm now another, I'm going to add another nickname to his repertoire, and that's the Glove 2.0. There it because is. Because on the Seton Hall website, I went and, and to look at the, the box score, they had a picture of Fuquan. He was just in this little stance, and he and he embodied a little bit of Gary Payton when he was just up in the guy's grill and just ready to uh, steal the bacon from from another opponent. He did that eight times this game. Yeah, he's he's one of those players that you know we like over here at the six overtimes because his just his motor is constant, and he's one of those guys that just works on every single play. 
And then in, in addition to that, he's very long. He has long arms that can get involved in the passing, uh, passing lanes and make sure that he can get deflections on passes and some of them turn into steals. And in this particular matchup, uh, eight of them did. He had a great game and it's, they're going as Pope, Edwin, and Theodore, and Theodore had another 16 point performance and you know, these three guys are really just carrying the Pirates, and, you know, it, it's – they're one of my favorite teams to watch in the Big East. Yeah, but he had to work hard. He's he's like a poor man's Ashton Gibbs. He took 18 shots to get to those 16 points. You really don't want to see a guy have to chuck up 18 shots to get to, get to that amount. Um, but, Scott, when you were saying six overtimes over here – I'm, I'm thinking of a headquarters. We need a headquarters for six overtimes in South Orange, New Jersey. Might be that perfect middle ground between Doylestown and New York as I think as a is. place for us to set up shop and, and for six overtimes corporate world headquarters. Right <laughs> now, after the first month of play, it's it's now stationed in South Orange, New Jersey as of right now. Absolutely. Um, and another team that I think we've we both enjoyed watching play, too, is Georgetown Hoyas, and they've been a surprise of the Big East, and they've had a great start to the season. That continues with a beatdown of American University, uh, taking them down 81-55 to in this re- uh, regional rivalry game where, uh, you know, it, it was sort of close going into about 16 minutes left in the second half, and that's when uh, the points just started getting poured on by the Georgetown Hoyas team. Yeah, and talking about big men that uh, can distribute the basketball and look for the the open man, Henry Sims. Not only does this guy score, but six assists by the big fella. And, and JT3 couldn't have uh, had better things to say about his, his performance. Yeah, there's a couple interesting nuggets that I picked up from the, uh, the conference following the game. And basically what happened was... They asked Sims, you know, do you know how many assists that you had? And he basically just dumbed it down. He was like, yeah, they were cutting and they were open, so I passed it to my teammates. You know, it wasn't about me. It was about the other guys that were getting open. And uh, JT3 was actually uh, more impressed with how vocal he was being a leader on the defensive end and communicating with uh, his fellow Hoyas and where they should be on defense. So... You know, he he had a great all-around game. He had a great defensive game, great offensive game. And, you know, Henry Sims is the reason why Georgetown uh, really blew out American. Yeah, he played great. Um, yeah, everyone else played played uh, okay. Um, Otto Porter got 10 boards. Good to see him active on the, on the glass. Um, they took care of business, basically what they did. Another team that you could kind of say took care of business was... The Rutgers Scarlet Knights took down the Stony Brook Seawolves, 67-58. I mean, that's got to be one of the best mascot names. Uh, it's up there, definitely. Yeah. And story from this game, Miles Mack, who has been struggling mightily, Scott. He was he was starting for the entire year, and Mike Rice said, you know what, you, uh, you are relegated to the bench because you just haven't been performing. Good, good that that happened because it gave him a little boost and, and a wake-up call to – if he's going to see minutes and he's going to see the floor and he's deserving a play, he's got to he's got to bring it. And he scored a career high twenty two points and looked really great on the fast break. and And that's where a team like Rutgers, any Big East team, should 
should take advantage of their athleticism and quickness against a, a lesser opponent. Oh yeah, definitely, and and they really did that uh, in this this game, the noon game of the MSG Tip Off Classic or whatever it was called. Um, and you know, as much as I want to say that Miles Mack had a great game, it's where the hell is Dane Miller? You know, he had a he had a nice game last week, and and now he's relegated to zero points on. Uh, you know, fouled out of the game. I just don't know what to make of this game. Where are you, Dane Miller? There's some song out there. Where Where have you gone? What's that one by Madonna? Oof, I don't know. I don't know. My Madonna uh, knowledge is pretty low. Okay. But yeah, Dane Miller completely disappeared after we hyped him up and put him on the pedestal, the six overtimes pedestal last week. He did have five blocks, so he's not he's not completely uh, non-existent or, or or gone. But you want to see him? He only took one shot, which is terrible. Uh, let's move on to your Marquette Golden Eagles. They won ninety three to seventy two, Scott, and they're your ball club. And I haven't heard like you love them, but like it's it's been uh, the last week or so. You've been kind of uh, lukewarm about them. Well, I think that's sort of the product of. It's hard to get excited about them playing against the Northern Colorado Bears, you know. And I, I think that their uh, schedule so far has not really dictated too much uh, enthusiasm besides their win over Wisconsin. So, you know, I, I love the Marquette Golden Eagles. I, I think they have a great great team and a great chance to go far in the tournament. Um, and they showed it in this game by making 27 baskets and on those having 23 assists. I mean, that continues to be a statistic that blows yeah, my Junior mind. Yeah, Junior Kaduga, nine assists, distributing the basketball. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just great. We don't, I don't think we've seen any, any other team distribute it and pass the ball that, that they have this year. And when you put up 93 points, that's, that helps, uh, those, <laughs> those assist numbers. Uh, DJ Oak, you know, just one little, Tidbit was uh, suspended for one game for vi- violation of team rules. Apparently, he'll be back tonight against LSU, which is going to be a tougher game. But uh, how about the guy that filled in for him, Scott Todd Mayo? And uh, Buzz Williams was pretty and um, direct about you know this guy's in the post game about if this guy can score or not. Yeah, and. This was Todd Mayo's first career start, and Buzz Williams in the in the uh, post game news conference was asked if he was sort of surprised about how well Todd Mayo played, and he just went off a little bit, saying that he couldn't believe that this guy even questioned that Todd Mayo wasn't this good, and he just sort of went on and went on. You know how Buzz is really colorful. It's it was sort of funny to to listen to. Yeah, he's a colorful guy. He he can, if you want some sound bites and some some quick uh, witty comments, he's he's bringing it to you. Definitely, but it was a big win for Marquette. Uh, but and you know, Jav- uh, Devonte Gardner also had a big game filling in for Chris O'Toole. Um, you know, everyone played very well, including Jameel Wilson off the bench, who also had his career high in points with eleven. Um, but let's move on to your Pitt Panthers. Talk a little bit about the game uh, where they beat SC State 69-55. But mostly let's talk about uh, the news that Kem Birch is transferring out of uh, out of Pitt. He's the best recruit that Jamie Dixon has ever had. 
Uh, and he was start. He was the starting center. So what do you got as a yeah? Pit wild fan? and crazy week in in uh, in Panther Nation. Not big of a pit football fan, but you had to see the news also of Todd Graham just bouncing uh, so unexpectedly and just leaving town via text message to Arizona State, which is just an unbelievable football program. How could you not want that job? But yeah, Ken Birch, uh, news came out middle of the week, or I think it was Thursday. They started, these rumors start, rumors started surfacing. And yes, Pitt did release a statement that Ken Birch has left the school. We don't know where he is transferring to. Kentucky has been thrown out there. Some other ball clubs, you know, he'll, he'll go somewhere good. But right now he's going back to Montreal to figure things out. He won't be able to play Scott until uh, the second semester of his sophomore year, so not uh, we won't be seeing any any hoop talent from from Ken Birch. Tough loss for me as a Pitt fan. I was really psyched about it, but you gotta you gotta question question this call because Jamie Dixon did not treat him unfairly, from what I saw. Just an outside perspective. A lot of other people know a heck of a lot more than me about the situation, but he was starting, which you never see with freshmen at Pitt. DeWan Blair was was the only other exception, and he definitely deserved it for his play. Um, you even saw some former Pitt players, Brad Wanamaker, Jermaine Dixon, tweeting out end end of last week about you know you got to earn your stripes and earn your earn your minutes and earn your earn your keep here at Pitt because nothing's going to come easy and uh, just just a really confusing, perplexing move out of here. But so the actual game, but it, yeah, it, it happened. Talib Zana, a big man for Pitt, came in and filled in very nicely to to uh, replace that production. Scott, 12 points and 14 boards. So if, if they can get it from Dante Taylor and Talib Zana, I know SC State is not very good, but if, if they can have those guys show up and play, then, then we, sh- we should be fine. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, you just need to find that guy that will replace the production that uh, Ken Birch had. And in this game, it was Tlaib Zana. I'm more interested to see if that's going to hold up against some of the better opponents going forward. But for this, I mean, that's that's as well as he could have played, considering the circumstances and considering that this is his first game that he's really played in this year. So really nice to see that Zana had a great game. Um you know, what is uh, all this Ash and Gibbs preseason talk about preseason Big East player of the year? And I just don't get it. I mean, he's shooting 18, 19, 20 shots, and he's not really pouring in that much. Um, in this particular contest, he went 2 of 12 from three-point land and 6 of 18 overall for 14 points. I mean, what are you seeing for, as far as a Pitt Panthers fan goes? Well, he's not shooting well. That's that's well documented. We know that. But I think the reason he's not shooting well is a combination of a few things. He's playing too much. He played 38 minutes in this game. He's playing out of position or where he should where he's it's not his optimal position and the reason for that is because of Trey Woodall. Trey Woodall being out. Trey Woodall should be at the point he was in the early going, and, and it worked out uh, great for for everyone, including Ashton Gibbs. He's out. He's he played 38 minutes. We're seeing that the last few games. He's tired. Um, you know, he's not coming off ball screens as much. He's not getting the ball in the wing where he really 
really um, thrives. So I think I think we we need Trey Whittall back, and once that happens, then we'll see if these six for eighteen, seven for nineteen, those sorts of shooting nights continue. If that if it continues, then then it's then we'll have to be concerned. But right now, it's it's uh, get Woodall back and then reevaluate things. So let's move on. We've got so many games to cover. Let's move on to this Cincinnati team. Intriguing team. It looks like they're really playing with some uh, with with some fire. Even though it was against the Radford Highlanders, they won 101 to 70 over the Radford Highlanders. And 101 points without uh, a lot of these guys is quite impressive. I don't care who you're playing. Yeah, it's like almost they've been gelling a little bit more, uh, a little better since the whole suspension and the whole big fight with Xavier. Um, it's been surprising and. They actually got uh, Galan Gawin back, and he pl- he contributed off the bench. He he gave them seven points in this massacre of Radford. Um, but you know there isn't much to talk about in this game because the game it was thirty four to seven in the first half with ten minutes left. Yeah, like you said, they're gel. Maybe yeah, maybe what uh, it makes them stronger. They've they've bonded and and become more of a unit and saying you know what we got to. We got to rally together and and play as a team and be, you know, be a be one unit as opposed to before there was some selfishness uh, setting in. Good to see Gwen come back and, and and from this. Kashmir Wright had a had a nasty game, huh? Shot really well from the field. Yeah, he dropped in twenty five, and like you were saying before, it's it seems that they don't have they haven't had a problem really replacing. Gates is scoring, but they have had a difficult time uh, replacing his rebounding, and mm. they actually got out-rebounded by Radford in this game, which is surprising. Um, but let's focus on the positives. I mean, Jaquan Parker continues to look like he's going to be a nice player for them in that in that uh, six-man role coming off the bench as a microwave. And Jermaine Sanders, who was that six-man off the bench in this game, uh, dropped in 12 points. So, there were a lot of a lot of good takeaways from this particular game, and um, you know, since he took care of business, they they did what they had to do. Yeah, I think we're going to have to compile an all microwave team because it seems like every team or every game we cover, somebody is displaying microwave like abilities. Yeah, definitely. The, certainly, the captain of that team is Dion Waiters, but we'll see who else uh, fills out his his squad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's enough uh, coverage on that game. Let's move on to uh, West Virginia beating down Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, 84-64. to That's a tough name to say, right? Corpus Christi? Well, just Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. There's a lot of, uh, you know, like letters in that. Uh, like you see it as Texas A&MCC. It's just like yeah. a lot of... A lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that happened in this game was West Virginia scored a lot of points, 84 to 64, took them down. One big thing I want to talk about in this game, because you need to look past the the actual score, Scott, in all these games, especially when you're playing lesser opponents. But West Virginia, a common thread throughout the year that is, I think it's going to come back to hurt them in some of these games in the Big East is their free throw shooting was. They just went, uh, again, only 16 for 28 from the line, shooting in the 50% range. That's just not going to cut it when you start playing Louisville, Syracuse, UConn, and even some other teams. Yeah, when you leave 12 points at the free throw line, 
you know, they're not going to go 100% every game, but you'd like to see them up in that 75% mark, and, you know, they weren't on that. So leaving five points at the line, if you're looking at it that way, uh, it's those close games are going to get away from you if that's the case. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I'd like to point out that Kevin Jones didn't have a double-double when Herb Pope did. Yeah, I might have to. We might have to modify this bet. I might need some odds on on this Kevin Jones Herb Pope bet because I don't I don't feel too confident in it uh, <laughs> heading heading into uh, the rest of the season. Certainly, Bobby Huggins talked about this. I think he tried to send a message to his to his team. He didn't play or to some of his his main players and, and starters. He didn't play them all that much. He brought in some of the bench guys, and when I was looking at the the stat line because this t- this uh, this game was not on TV, there were more there was more bench play and different guys saw saw action and time than you see in other games. And one, it was I think Kevin Jones and and Kalichka, Some of the guys got in foul trouble because out of necessity he did that. But I think number two, he also did it to just hey, when it's when it comes down to it, we're probably going to beat these guys. So. You know what? You're not always going to see the court just because you are a Kevin Jones or a Chuck Bryant or a Denise, Dennis Kalichka. I just called him Denise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's one thing from this game. Yeah, and another thing is that uh, they actually have a couple pretty tough games this week. Uh, oh yeah, they're they're going to play Baylor on Friday night. Is that right? Yeah, that's going to be a great game. That they head out to Vegas. This this game was part of the Continent. Continental Tire Vegas Classic, and you always th- see this where the big teams in it they always play a regional, a few regional games to start out, and then they'll head out this week. They play Missouri State on Thursday night. Who I don't know much about them, but yeah, Perry. They're usually pretty good. Perry Jones and Baylor on on Friday night. That's going to be awesome. Seeing who Kevin Jones is probably going to guard him a little bit just to see that matchup between those those two studs. Yeah, definitely. It will be really fun just to see if they can keep up with Baylor because from what I've seen all year is that they play real fast. So mm-hmm. that's going to be on Jabari Hines and Chuck Bryan and see uh, how they respond to that. Um, that wraps up our coverage of all the games that happened on Saturday and Sunday. Um, but, of course, we want to we wanna highlight uh, the players of the weekend. And, Chaz, who you got? I'm going to go with a Syracuse player. Get out of here. I'm serious, and everyone probably thinks it's Deion Waiters, but I'm going to go with James Sutherland. And why I picked this guy is because he's Jim Bayham. Jim Bayheim has not he he hasn't always seen action in in all these games. He might you might only see him see two or three or four minutes of of, of floor action. But this guy in 18 minutes of play, he came up with th- uh, 11 big buckets. I believe he hit three threes, and he was big on the. Uh, Part of that run, that twenty-three hour run, he was he was a big part of it and helped them sustain that and and, and really pull away. But I, I just like his mental toughness. Where you see a lot of these guys, they they're not seeing the court and they get down on themselves and they kind of pack it in. But this guy knows he knows he has talent. He knows this entire team has talent. And for him to have that focus and concentration night in and night out and being like, you know what, this team needs me tonight. And you know what, when if I'm going to see the court. I got to produce right away, and that's that's what he did on uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, and I think that just speaks to Syracuse's depth, how good James Sutherland has been this year and continues to be. So, I I I, I disagree with you in, in picking him as Player of the Night because I'm taking 
my men from Louisville, Russ Smith and uh, Mr. Dang over there. I'm sort of cheating a little bit by You're taking You're totally two. cheating. You but, can't even make up your mind. But listen, those two guys, Dang had six blocks. Russ Smith had seven uh, steals. They combined, I think, for 38 points. And they really just played very, very well uh, defensively, offensively. And uh, what I think was the biggest win for any Big East team this the, over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So taking down Memphis and contributing on both sides of the basketball really led to my decision for this. And they they really played well, and I, I want to give them kudos. Kudos is good. So we have today is Monday, Monday night. We're not at Big Monday yet, but uh, we're about close. a few weeks away, and I can't wait for it. Tonight we got Cleveland State, a very good ball club, who beats uh, probably an overhyped Vanderbilt team, but still good for a MAC team to to win that. Cleveland State are they in the Horizon League? They're in the Horizon I'm, League. I'm off on my conferences. Regardless, they're a good team. They go down to South Florida tonight. That's on ESPN three. I think they're going to beat South Florida because South Florida sucks. Um, <laughs> Ouch. Tennessee Tech goes into uh, West Virginia. West Virginia this next week, they're playing like four games or five games in, in, in a week stretch. So gonna they're getting be, ready. Gonna be gonna be ready. Sacred Heart goes into N D and then Marquette goes down to LSU, who LSU is not a great team, but anytime you go on the road in the in a into an SEC arena, it's always a tough environment. Uh that that should be a good one. That's on the ESPN three as well. Yep, um, all those games are going to be pretty decent. Uh, I think uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the LSU Marquette game. Uh, I'm not going to watch that F- South Florida game for what you said. I mean, it's just it's like Rutgers. I mean, it's a lot of missed shots and a lot of turnovers, and it's it becomes ugly basketball real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I haven't looked at the lines yet for the games tonight, but I will be making a bet on the uh, on the old website at sixovertimes.us. I uh, just want to say thanks again to for stopping by and taking the time to listen. Um, of course, for my esteemed colleague, Chaz Wagner, I'm Scott Wildermuth, and uh, make sure to hit us up on sixovertimes at gmail.com with questions, comments, concerns, anything you got, and tweet us over at sixovertimes. Thanks a lot. Peace. Later.